Welcome to Wealthy Muslim Women Podcast, a resource for Muslim women to learn about money, how to create it, grow it, and to protect it. Money is easy. All that's needed is the right mindset. I'm your host, Dr. Saima Ali, with life coaching tools to truly help you create wealth in all areas of your life. Welcome to another very special episode of Wealthy Muslim Woman Podcast. Today, I have another guest, my beautiful friend, Dr. K. She is a mom, a physician, and a life coach. And when I say beautiful, mashallah, she's beautiful. And the reason why I bring it up is because you have to go listen to her podcast about her growing up and being put in a position where she had to question her body image because, mashallah, she was tall and she was skinny. And yes, those are qualities of a model. But this society can make you believe different things about yourself. So you have to check out her podcast when you get a chance. And um, she is American Muslim woman, my favorite group of people especially for those of us who grew up in the 90s and early 2000s, our post 9-11 struggles of questioning ourselves, questioning our beliefs, and then taking that journey back to accepting ourselves and accepting especially our beautiful religion and just becoming these amazing women. And I love seeing all these stories on Instagram, on TikTok, or wherever you are. And this is my contribution of inviting all of them to my podcast and having them share their story. So I am sure you will love, love this episode. I can't wait for you to hear it. So I'll just stop talking so you can listen to our podcast together. I'm so honored to have my friend and another physician, Dr. K. I loved how you lay it out in your podcast that I'm Dr. K and people have trouble pronouncing the name. So I love Dr. K to the podcast and you have your own podcast that I'd love to hear more about. But instead of me introducing you, I'd love for you to tell everybody about who you are, what you do, and just everything about yourself. Awesome. Thank you. Assalamu alaikum to you and to everyone listening. And it's such an honor again to be here. Let me tell everyone just a little bit like I consider Saima to be my mentor okay and I I it's not a secret I tell everybody like she I know I know but it's it's not something that I want to keep a secret it was a good it was an excellent experience through your wealthy women coaching in the course and I got introduced to this world and then I realized how important and needed this is and literally that was my push in the right direction and alhamdulillah I can't thank you enough and this this whole journey so a little bit about myself my name is Dr. Kamal Akhtar I am a board certified internal medicine physician and I practice full-time as a hospitalist doctor in South Florida I go by Dr. K because for non-subcontinent people it's hard to pronounce my name the way it's written but overall, I consider myself a Muslima first, a physician, a wife, a mother, entrepreneur. I have a successful business in the medical field that I co-founded with my partner that we've been running for 10 years, alhamdulillah, and it gives me the perfect life, family work balance. And I started with the life coaching because it is such an underutilized tool 
and that is the mind. I feel like our mind just keeps running our life rather than us running our mind. And when I came to this, I was like, this is not something that should be kept a secret. So I went full force into this field and that's where I am. So I host um, the Islamic Life Coach School podcast and that's where my general life coaching business is. It's Islamic Life Coach School. Thank you so much. I'm really honored for the kind words that you have for me. I I never thought I would be considered your mentor, but I'm honored for that um, title. Thank you again. <laughs> so let's break it down. I'd love to hear everybody's opinion. You know, we all have our own thoughts about how we see the world. And especially when it comes to life coach, like I feel like this world, this word is being used a lot nowadays, especially on social media. You see everybody using it. What exactly is a life coach in your opinion or in your perspective? Yeah, so that's an excellent question. First, I don't mean a mentor like you're older than me or anything. I just think that you're wiser, okay? Yeah, I do not think college, that. You have younger children than I do. So that's definitely <laughs> not how I meant to that. That's not how I was thinking either. But even, <laughs> okay, to, even to be more wiser than you, even that's like such a huge compliment that my head can't wrap around it. Like I, I see you I as you know, you somebody are. I look up to. So for me to even accept that is like a huge. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, but subhanAllah, you are. Alhamdulillah. So that, it's very good. So life coaching. Wow. It's such a huge topic. But just like there are different kinds of physicians, even if, let's say, like yourself in the field of neurology or myself in the field of internal medicine, there are all different spectrums of physician, how they practice, what their specialties are what they're good at or if they just pretend to be good at something that they're really not like you you see all different colors of the spectrum in any profession same way you'll see that in life coaching there are life there are people who call themselves uh, life coaches without any quote-unquote formal training and based on their life experiences which maybe makes them a good life coach we never know and but life coaching, the way I describe it is, for me, I'm a mindset coach. And anybody who can help you manage your mind can be considered a life coach. There are people who call themselves life coaches because they can give you advice on the field of marketing or advertisement. Or there are people who can consider themselves a life coach because they can give you advice in the field of um, nutrition, wellness, and fitness, and overall. So there isn't a one-size-fits-all definition to this term life coach. What I do recognize is that for physicians, it's a very high bar that is set by the boards and the licensing agencies to enter into that field. You have to go through training after training, exam after exam. For life coaching, that bar is extremely low. Like anybody can call themselves a life coach. And when they come to this, then really it's up to the feedback they get to realize if they're good or not. You might be a successful life coach at something that I would never consider myself that I'll ever be good at that. So life coaching to me is basically a general guidance that somebody else can provide you in areas of your difficulty or areas of um, struggle. Wow. Okay. Thank you. And so a doctor, you know, not an easy job, a life coach, a mom, the hardest in the world. <laughs> I feel like that's the hardest job in the world, in my opinion. 
how do you manage it all? Like, how do you have time to be an entrepreneur and see what's in the world, be a mom and be a physician? Like all those tasks, I feel require so much energy, so much brain power. Right. So it's interesting that you ask that because they do require a lot of energy and they do require a lot of focus. I tell myself that I act as a substitute frontal brain for five people in my life, including myself. So that's all of my family members, right? And that does require energy. But what really helps me is that it only requires energy one item at a time. Like if I am working as a mother at home, then that's all I am. Like at that point, I'm not going to let my brain go crazy on things that need to be done at work or in regards to my coaching business. And the same is true depending on what role I'm playing any day of the week or any hour of the day. The biggest fallback plan, or I don't know, like a cushion for me is where I slip is where I find my spirituality, my religiosity. And that's exactly why I've founded my uh, life coaching business around um, religiosity is because the life that you're trying to live kind of poses itself as the most and the ultimate important thing. And when you get wrapped up in that, in all of these roles that you're described, you really lose focus on that one thing that matters. And that's your belief in Allah, your religiosity, especially for myself, it's my belief in the religion of Islam. So when I get lost in all of that, that's one thing that I come back to time and time again. And that's one rope that I hang on to with all of my strength, like regardless of what role I'm playing. So you have to have that one foundation, that one basic belief that you always redirect yourself to. And that's the goal that you set. And then all the offshoots as a mom, as an entrepreneur, as a physician, all these offshoots kind of come together. And another thing is, of course, mind management, right? Like you cannot, cannot do anything without mind management because it will be overwhelming or it's not. No, that, that's beautifully put. And, it, and again, comes down to all mind management, our thoughts, how we process them, how we pay attention to them. And I'm so glad you brought up spirituality. That's something that I've personally struggled with uh, pretty much my whole life. And uh, I started doing a lot of work on performance, on improving, improving my performance in my life and in my family life and in myself. And I was making categories of things that I need to prioritize. So for myself, things like, you know, I need to exercise, I need to have meditation time for myself and then I need to spend time with my kids and I still didn't feel a lot of peace a lot of content in my life and then what I realized is that what I was missing is the spirituality and so many times I was neglecting salah because I I was blaming that I'm not getting enough sleep so if I wake up for fudger if I wake up the baby's gonna wake up and I can't have the baby wake up and I you know, I can delay Fajr, I can do something else at this time. And I was always neglecting that. And that contentment was just not there. And now the way I do it is, you know, I, I put spirituality as like the first thing that I need for myself and everything else can revolve around it. Mm-hmm. And I think much of like the way Islam is, it, it, we think it's there to bound us that, oh, if we're going to take time out for Salah, then it's going to take us away from our important task. But if you really study like the high performance stuff, it's actually our time to connect with ourselves and with our higher being. So that little break that we take, it's almost like a meditation break 
we're, we're paying attention to ourselves, our minds and like to our creator and it actually helps us focus better. So that's something that I just started doing and learning more about. So I'm glad you're starting with that. And that, that's huge power. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that in itself is a journey no matter how you get there. And high performance stuff is one of the aspects. And they're saying that you have to take a break in the middle of your day, after 20 minutes, whatever program you follow, they tell you after an hour, get up and walk after 20 minutes, get up and whatever they tell you to disconnect from whatever you're doing in your zone of uh, performance, and then come back to it later. I, of course, there is that benefit in Salah, in Dhikr, in all of your remembrance of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, but there's also the benefit that Allah promised us, and that's what we also forget to sometimes focus on and we say okay if I disconnect and go to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala then I'll be more productive but then you have to also keep in mind that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala promised you rewards that are beyond your imagination 700 times more for turning to him and asking him for help or doing the good deeds or really just remembering him so a human mind is only capable of learning in references okay if I'm being productive, that means that this is what I have accomplished, then let me turn to Allah to give myself a break or whatever. And it, it forgets that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has promised so much more than what we're capable of fathoming. So that always also helps me in, in um, keeping it in the right direction. Yeah, making, making those connections from the Western perspective and then going back to Islam, it's just amazing. And even if you look at the waking up a lot of uh, high performance coaches they teach how you know you should wake they wake up early in the morning like four or five o'clock and then they go to bed early and they're most productive in the morning and in islam there's a hadith where prophet said there's a blessing for my ummah in the morning like the earlier hours wow. and we have budget scheduled for us correct correct <laughs> can i just tell you something my best performance started happening when i started waking up for tahajjud so for the past six months i've been waking up at 4 a.m and going to bed early enough i get enough REM sleep like it's not a lack of sleep issue i try and schedule a nap in the middle it's beautiful but alhamdulillah what started happening and there's so much evidence in our tradition that tells us exactly that like wake up that's your hour of rahmah that's when allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is on the lowest of the lowest guys where he listens to your dua so we can find evidence of it in the scientific community and we can go back to our tradition and look for it and there's really no wrong or right whatever fits your calling for that time right yeah and then I was having so much drama about how I'm not getting enough sleep and then I started tracking my sleep with like something like Fitbit and I've started recognizing that I am getting enough REM. I am getting enough deep sleep. And, you know, this is just my mind telling me, creating something for me to really hold me back. And it's not really a fact. So it's, it's amazing when you start paying attention to like whatever your brain is telling you to questioning it and saying, yeah. is this a fact or is this something I'm making up? So, you know, we're all inspired by something. What makes you feel inspired to do this work? It's amazing work that you've started. So I can't say I always had the answer, but it again came to me one day after the Hajjad and I was like, okay, if I'm going to go down this road, how am I going to do this? What am I going to do? And it was just so quick. It was like, it has to be around religiosity. In the next second, 
the name that came to me was Islamic Life Coach School. And I wrote that down. And in the next five minutes, I had the domain registered. Like I have it registered under like $7.99 or $10.99, something like crazy, crazy cheap. So it kind of, I want to say it kind of happened, but it happened because whenever I would go and explore this topic, I would always be held back by these waswasas that there's so much Islamophobia, nobody's going to sign up for your services. There's so much, even Muslims out there that just hate the culture of Islam, not the religion of Islam, but what the culture of Islam is forcing down their throats. They'd be like, okay, I would rather practice whatever Western science modern science is telling me then go down this culture of Islam that my family is um, shoving down my throat and I had all of these ideas that I would be excluded medical community would never accept me and I had all these fears and nothing was true none of that and it's just so fabulous again it goes back to mind management it just goes back to addressing your fears and my inspiration really came from that moment, but it was built on a lifetime of experiences because I kept questioning things that are I was finding in the Quran versus what I was finding in the culture. I was like, you know, I've been fed this narrative all my life. Let me go to the books. Let me go to the ulama. Let me go to the right resources and find if there's any validity to that. And whenever I wouldn't find it, I'd just be like, oh my God, this was never true. Like Muslims, like uh, how men kind of tell a woman their role in a marriage and it says that you're just supposed to take it or leave it or even leaving is not an option like nowhere in our religion does it say that and yet I was brought up with this with this image in my mind so when I started debunking this and I came to life coaching I was like you know what this message has to be sent out to the masses there's nothing in our religion that disproves what science is saying if anything, if science tries to disprove what our religion is saying, it just falls flat on itself. Like if not now, then later. So might as well go to the source, might as well go to the book and the Quran and the Sunnah and get it from there. Yeah. And and I think a lot of us growing up in the US probably had a similar story. We struggled with, uh, with the same things, especially post 9-11 when Islam was being blamed for a lot of these things and I had the same drama around even calling my uh, podcast wealthy Muslim woman and I was like okay should I have the Muslim word in it you know should I only you know what if I get blamed for not including non-Muslim women or any of this stuff and and I had such a such fears around that and yeah, and then I would, the other thing is like the stereotypes that we have. I was just talking to my husband the other day, especially about Muslim women, and uh, I was talking to another friend, and she said she's she wants to get therapy, but she's afraid of going for therapy to uh, non-Muslim uh, white person or you know somebody who's not familiar because they kind of think, you know, she she's submissive, she's coming as this person who's being uh, taken advantage of, and she said that's not what it's all about. Like this is you know, I am strong, I, I can speak for myself, but the, they have the stereotype and that's what I feel like it's going to come from. And then the other thing I was telling my husband is that we have such a strong example of Muslim women, like even when we go back to our history, like Khadija, you know, she, Khadija Razitalanha was married to Prophet and she was the business owner and she's the one who proposed to him and she had been married before and he was this young 
guy that he proposed to and she's this at that time she was a powerful character in their life and even today if we look at our our moms or other other successful business women and we see their strong characters how they've been able to be resilient and and do all that but then we have these stereotypes that oh you know Muslim women they're submissive and they're staying at home and they're not yeah. allowed to do this and they're not allowed to do that <laughs> yeah. so it's so fascinating that you brought that up because I previously had been in therapy before I came to life coaching and there was a point after like two years where I was just sick and tired of talking about my past I was like right when are we going to move on right like it's one of those talk therapies so that's another advantage of of life coaching which me it basically is forward focused rather than past focus which is a huge advantage that a lot of general population doesn't uh, understand but uh, the therapist I was going to it was the same thing like he thought just because I was observing the job that I was closed in and I was introverted and I didn't enjoy around being around people and I was just taking my orders from whoever told me to do this and it was so detrimental because at some level I was questioning that I was like am I really is this my value like what's happening like there's a lot of brainwashing that goes on if you go to sources like that and it's dangerous and you have to really like check yourself and there are how what like you can be an empowered Muslim woman and you can be in a role of support of your family. You can be in a role of observing the niqab. You can be in a role of, I don't know, whatever is interest to you, to go with scuba diving or being a CEO or, you know, it's such a large spectrum. And for other people who already come to the picture with uh, preconceived notions, it's detrimental. So it's, it's this life coaching around Islam mind management with Islamic principles like you were doing, alhamdulillah, alhamdulillah, inshallah, I can continue. It's extremely important. Yeah, well, thank you. So tell me more about your program. Can you break it down? What what are you doing? How do you provide your services? Who do you work with? Just any details about your program? Yeah, so I, I currently do general life coaching. I offer a success mindset to professional Muslim women who are who are looking to achieve their highest level of success without second guessing themselves because that always runs into it seems like our genes we make a decision and we quickly second guess it and we scratch it and and it doesn't really only have to be in your professional setting about a presentation or about a talk that you're giving even in real life like if you want to take your family out for an outing and you're constantly second guessing yourself is this the right thing so I kind of help you take out that mind drama and when I say professional Muslim woman I think a stay-at-home mom is the toughest profession going back to what you said and as soon as I say that stay-at-home moms just automatically exclude themselves they're like oh I don't have a job that pays me outside of the work I don't leave home for work so that means it's not for me I mean again it's the toughest profession so stay-at-home mom are also part of my coaching clientele and basically it's just it's general life coaching around the topic that you're having struggle with because the way Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has designed life is that he sent you here and then he will test you with struggles so whatever your current struggle is is your little flag that's trying to get your attention to pay attention to what your mind and body is going through pay attention to your thoughts pay attention to your feelings so once you've come to that crossroads where you realize that you have a struggle, what I want to offer these women um, and whoever's listening to this podcast is that it's not you, it's 
100% of the time a mismanaged mind. What I also offer, which I really consider to be my contribution towards the life coaching model that we follow is that the entire, literally every thought that comes to you is either made up of a higher brain origin or a lower brain origin. Lower brain source, the primal brain, the evolutionary brain source of the whispers of the whispers of shaitan, or the higher brain being the voice of your ruh or your connection to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, your higher conscience and um, source of your taqwa, your connection to God. And the way we know at any given moment which thought you're acting from, either is a, a lower brain origin or the higher brain origin, the way we know that is with the result you create. So at one point you could be watching TV and relaxing with your family and you love the whole situation and you've created as a result created a bond with your family and at that point you would be thinking okay let me watch this tv and you're wasting time and you're not paying attention to your family so it's the same thought pattern leading to the same actions but the result you've created is completely opposite in one case you've created a bond with your family in one case you've created ignore like you're ignoring your family so it's not so much the thought that comes to you that I could tell you that, okay, this you're acting from your higher brain or the lower brain. It's the result that you create out of it. And um, a lot of times this type of coaching comes so naturally to Muslim women, especially to all Muslims. Like I do these talks at mosques and it's so well received because they immediately know how to recognize that was because they've been trained on it they've been like okay if this is happening and you're committing a sin this is the wasfasa. like they've been told that what we're not taught is that was that wasfasa is extremely common if you're not getting a promotion it's most likely because you're acting on these wasfasas, keeping you on shame in judgment in um second guessing yourself so when I teach them that that there is a third party at play here it's not necessarily their own inner being that's at fault it's like a light bulb that goes on and it makes a code like for me it makes my life so much easier because from then on I just have to teach them that okay this is what you have to do get out of it so it's alhamdulillah an extremely positive what can I say it's an extremely powerful concept that it's already pre-programmed and it, and it works in our favor alhamdulillah that's great what's the best way for people to contact you um, to a website through, through um, yeah so islamiclifecoachschool.com that's my website it has my email my phone number um also i'm available for all the concepts that i teach are on my podcast islamic life coach school on itunes you could just search that by dr there and team at islamiclifecoachschool.com is also an email that you can email but that email is available on the website as well so you can't go wrong um you can schedule a consult there or you could um look at the program that i offer okay very nice um do you have any programs coming up that people can join or look so i am doing a facebook live on i'm gonna say august 23rd at 1 p.m eastern daylight time and that's a program where I'll be talking about mental health in Muslim women and how the pathology-based model of mental health is very very suboptimal and um, besides that the enrollment in my coaching program is just on an ongoing basis whoever I qualify could benefit from my services through my free consult is welcome to enroll 
And August 23rd is a Monday. So you're doing it on a Monday? Oh, maybe I spoke. Okay, so August 22nd then. August 22nd okay. then, yeah. Because okay. I'm pretty sure August 23rd is Monday. No, you're it's absolutely my, right. right yeah. It's my birthday. So that, that's, the only, that's the only way I know it. <laughs> Remember to wish you. Yes, it is Monday. Because <laughs> yeah. I was so trying to plan August my birthday and I'm like, I, I'm sure it's Monday. <laughs> okay. Thank yeah, you. it's actually on August 22nd at 1 p.m. I'm looking at my calendar right now. Okay, good, good. Um, and then just a fun question because we're on a money podcast. If you get or if you find a million dollars right now, it's all yours. So it's no, it's you don't have to go find who it belongs to, but this is your million dollars. What what would you do with it? How would you divide it up and how would you spend it? That's an easy question. I'll put it in your trust. <laughs> in my trust. The trust where you have uh, a trust for all the um, Muslim organizations, right? Yes. Oh, that's awesome. Thank you. So it would be, just educate it would be, a little bit more. So, so I have my own personal trust, which is the donor advice fund. No, no, I mean, no, no, I mean, it's a donor advice fund. So it's not really mine. Uh, so the money that goes into it is like charity money that'll be distributed. So once you create it, it's not really yours. So it's not really mine, but I created it. Uh-huh. But then I'm not sure if you're referring to the give, woman, Muslim woman giving circle. I think uh, Uzma uh-huh. and Zeba. Yes, Usman Zeba uh, started that, and we discussed that, I think, a couple of podcasts ago. So, so what's is, the difference between that one and what you created? So you can create, so Donor Advice Fund is basically, you can go create your own account where, um, let's say you need to give zakat or you need to give sadaqa, and you don't know at this moment who you want to give it to, or you want that money to start growing. So you can go to Fidelity and you can open up a donor advice fund. Now, this fund, whatever you you can decide to call it. So ours is called Muhammad Ali Fund because my husband's last name is Muhammad and my last name is Ali. Mm. <laughs> so we're the Muhammad Ali family. So we call it Muhammad Ali. And my husband is a huge fan of Muhammad Ali, of course. Oh, that worked so, out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so we love it. So so we have our own family fund, uh, and then this is the charity money, the cop money, so the company, whatever it is, and we're putting it in that, and that money gets to grow, and you know, and then we distribute it to charity. So once you put money into that fund, it's not ours anymore; it, it doesn't belong to us. So you can create like that type of fund, but then Muslim uh, Women Giving Circle is a bigger circle where it's a mutual kind of agreement. So it's. It's, I think, over 100 women right now that, that are getting together and donating a certain amount each year and then collectively deciding who, which charity this money will go to. Um, so then they, this, they vote on the charity at the end of the year. And this is Uzma and Zeba's. Um, oh, I see. Work. So, yeah. It, you know why I connected you with that? Because the first time I learned about it was through your post. I'm like, oh, look at her. Look at her doing the next great thing. And that's yes. why. But yes, no, that is huge. And I think that's something that we do as, as Muslim women, we do need to take initiative on and we need to create something that's that big and we can help the community in that way. That is something we all need to discuss and get involved with for sure. Yes, and absolutely. I'm so and that's right. Yes, yeah, I'm absolutely. So my million dollars so will go in there. Yay, that would be awesome. I'm sure Uzma will be happy to hear that. <laughs> you just have to give it to me now. You just have to give me that. <laughs> Inshallah. <laughs> so anything else that you'd like to add that we may have missed or not discussed? 
No, I think you very well covered it. Yeah, you've been an excellent host. Thank you for asking all of those insightful questions. I have definitely learned a lot as well. And um, thank you for having me. Thank you. Thank you so much. Again, it's really an honor. Thank you so much. Thank you.